Hello, and welcome to People Keep Dying, a podcast about people who die. I'm your host, Angela, and today I'm joined by my little stepbrother, Brandon. Howdy. So, um, I know you just you have pretty good knowledge about serial killers, and I am getting a mass shooter for you for this nice. episode. And you've probably heard the story, but um, you let me know when you figure out what it is. So Cho Sung-hee was born January 18th, 1984 in Asan, South Korea. And during the short time he lived in Korea, Cho's family said he was a strange kid. Do you know? Do you have an idea? This is Caltech, right? No. No. Um, I can't remember what the school so, is called. You're so close, but it's Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech. Yes. So he didn't really seem to get along with other kids. And some family members mentioned that he was cold and extremely shy. And his grandfather told Nightline or on ABC that Cho never made eye contact, never called his grandfather, never initiated any body contact, which I think is pretty normal for the weird little kids. Were you really affectionate? as Like, not that you're a No, I also had the eye contact thing. Yeah, so I'm not really sure if that's an adolescent thing or not, but he was only probably around like six years old at this point because he moves to America when he's eight. So besides all this, Cho was very well behaved as a child and did obey verbal commands. His dad owned a bookstore and wasn't doing great financially, so he moved himself, his family, and three children to the United States for more opportunities and a better future for his kids in 1992 when Cho was eight. So in... He's American is really like what it leads down to because yeah. some people are going to say like, well, he's Korean. It's like, but he's Americanized enough that he's American. They were initially based in Detroit until they learned that there was a giant community of Koreans in Washington, D.C. And they moved there and settled down in Centerville. In elementary school, most people who knew him said he was a smart kid who was popular and nothing out of the ordinary. But that changed in 1999. When Cho and the rest of the world became fixated with the Columbine High School massacre. In the LA Times interview, Ben Baldwin, one of Cho's classmates during this time, said, I remember sitting in Spanish class with him right next to him, and there being some writing on his binder to the effect of, you know, fuck you all. I hope you all burden hell, which I will assume meant us, the students. Uh, I don't know. Like that angst is pretty normal. Well, that's the thing. They always they always go back and they look at all this high school age anger. It's like this doesn't necessarily point to anything. I'm like, pretty sure, like if we looked I through said some very of, similar things. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if we looked through some of yours, it would it would it would look pretty similar. Like you're 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 going through like your hormone changes and you're mad because you're in middle school and everyone's mad then. And with no real sense of community for moving around, especially country to country. And he is already a weird kid and probably he does have mental illness issues. Wait, that's it's not that, help either. on the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. And I think they did test him to see like they said that they, he was probably autistic, but other people were like he wasn't. He wasn't technically tested. It's hard to know now. Yeah. So the school informed Cho's sister who told her parents and they sent him to a psychiatrist. By the eighth grade, Cho had been diagnosed with selective mutism and was bullied throughout his time in high school for his shyness and unusual speech pattern. And so he was placed in special education classes for emotional disturbance and his parents sent him to therapy as well as like a lot of church things. They like they really tried. They they knew something was wrong and they really tried to like help him out. But when he turned 18, 
well, much you can they do. can't do anything else anymore. And then basically in this time, he was hero worshiping like the call of my massacre kids, like Dylan and Eric, like who had no help. Their no. parents were just not there. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a different story in this way. And I remember this one specifically because I was in university. He's about my age. And it's just extra scary when you're like, holy fuck, that's yeah. But he graduated Westfield High School in 2003 and he left for college and went, got accepted into Virginia Tech as a business information technology major. But he changed to an English major during his time there. And they were trying to figure out like why he changed his major. But I changed my major like five times. You just do. Because, That's pretty common as a college student. Yeah, you don't, you realize like whatever you wanted to study isn't what you actually want to do in real life. Professor Nikki Giovanni, who taught poetry, said that she had removed him from his class because he was menacing. Basically, it was like, if he stays in the class, I won't teach it anymore. Thanks. Um, said something along the lines that he would take pictures of girls, like their legs from under their desk, which I felt was something that would have gotten kicked out of, like, kicked out of school, but maybe not well, in 2005. Now, yeah. Yeah. But that's still super common to this day. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, wait, they did remove him from the class, but not from the school. So because they're basically like he didn't actually do anything like he didn't threaten anyone. He's not threatening himself. We can't do anything else. Um, but the department had Lucinda Roy, who also taught Cho in poetry the previous year, said that his writing was generally angry. And while he was obnoxious and arrogant at times, he's pretty like awkward and lonely. And besides all that, he was pretty smart. Like and he was really intelligent. But because he was concerned with his behavior, um, she had like one on one sessions with him, mm. but then felt really unsafe after a while and like would use a code word of like a dead professor's name that she would tell her assistant if she felt like she needed to get out of that situation. So I think everyone kind of knew that he was weird. And but it's one of those things like un until you do something, you can't do anything about it. Oh, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. at least people were trying. They were trying. She did tell him that he should seek some counseling. And in general, all of the students in his classes were just like, he's a weird kid. Mm. And he would also introduce himself to girls as Cho's twin brother, question mark. And harassed his roommates at the time, Andy Kosh and John Eyde, with harassing phone calls. And his reputation with female students was also sour because he was super creepy to them. Like in one incident, he went to the girl's dorm and then like knocked on her door, which is like, well, I just wanted to see, like, just wanted to see what she looked like. And then when he told his roommate about it, he's like, well, all I saw was promiscuity in her eyes. And then the second time he had texted um, one of his roommate Andy's friends and gave her like a Romeo and Juliet quote. And she was like, didn't really think much of it until Andy was like, yeah. Cho's really fucking creepy. So she did report to the police and both in both incidents, like he just stopped talking to them after they're just like, no. So at least he knew what no meant. Wait, I think in his mind, he was like the lovable rascal, but he just had no real basis to like get aim himself with. So he just came off as super creepy. And yeah. Yeah. But it, after the rejection, he texted Andy was like, well, I might as well kill myself now. Which is that's still pretty standard standard. College. Yeah. Standard reaction, especially when he's 22, like you're around that age. So yeah, it's pretty normal. It's it's, it's pretty overdramatic, but I think that's just what it's like. 
because like Andy got the text message about like trying being suicidal or he probably wasn't, but that's what he said. Yeah. He told his dad and they both contacted the campus police and he was sent to um, New River Valley Community Services Board, which is a mental health agency. And he was admitted on December 13, 2005, and he needed to be hospitalized. But for some reason, Virginia Special Justice Paul Barnett said that Cho presented an imminent danger to himself as a result of mental illness, but then recommended outpatient treatment. Yeah. And so he was released the next day. And of course, he didn't really seek out the outpatient treatment because they don't keep track of that. But it just seemed stupid because he even said that this kid's dangerous and he's going to, you know, probably hurt himself. And it's like, ah, oh, but just go. It's yeah, all they good. They don't usually have the funding to follow through, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's gotten worse since then. So that's not going to help. In between this time, I found a random inter- interview by an escort like named Chastity Fry who is from the last time I've checked, I think she died in 2017. But she said she met Cho in March 2007. And she met him at a hotel room two hours away from campus and said, I danced for a little while and I thought we were done because he got up and went to his restroom and began washing. And when she said, like, she, if she can leave, he's like, well, I paid for the full hour. So you've only been here for 15 minutes. And then so she continued to dance and he touched her inappropriately. And she said she pushed him away and he backed off. But I'm like, aren't escort services usually for sexual favors? Well, yeah, I I feel like he was just confused. Like, it sounds like he was super nervous about the whole situation. But yeah, that's that's not a super uncommon story. I've heard that before. Yeah. And on top of that, it was for the New York Post. So it's one of those tabloid magazines anyway. So it's hard to know if like her... um, story was valid because she said like oh well they found me because the fbi did a credit card check background and i'm like do you pay for escorts with your credit card yeah i I can't imagine you would yeah so i'm not sure if i believe the story but i thought i'd mention it because it was a random one i found well it's also super easy to tell a story about somebody who can't tell their side yeah that's true on february 9th 2007 cho purchased his first gun a walther p22 semi-automatic pistol from an out-of-state dealer online. And on March 13th, he purchased his second gun, a 9mm Glock 19 semi-automatic pistol from Roanoke Firearms, a licensed gun dealer. And this is because there was like a weird like overlapping of the gun laws from state and federal. Yeah. So technically, even though he was found mentally ill because he didn't check the box in his background check yeah. saying that he... I'm like. So you're just, you're just trusting people when they fill out something. You're like, yep. That's yeah, it's your- essentially when they ask you, are you 18 when you go on a porn site? <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, like, yeah. We did our job. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Um, I feel it's different with a gun, but um, apparently yeah, not. Thing. Yeah. He passed the background check. And on March 22nd, he purchased two 10-round magazines on eBay and another round the next day. And after everything happened, I think eBay ended up getting rid of being able to buy ammunition. Good. But I think after all this, they try to still blame video games and everything else. And it's super stupid. He also bought hollow point bullets, which results in more tissue damage than full metal jacket bullets. Yeah, they explode on impact. And yeah. Everything apart. Well, he does a lot of damage, so I guess so. On April 16, 2007, Cho entered the West Ambler Johnston Hall a co-ed residence and entered the room of freshman Emily J. Hilscher at 
7.15 a.m. And Emily was shot immediately and died. Or she didn't die for she didn't die for three hours, but she was shot immediately and it was fatal. Yeah. And upon hearing the gunshots, 22-year-old resident assistant Ryan C. Clark went to try to help Emily. And then Cho shot him and killed Ryan as well. And while Emily was dying, because she was alive for three hours at the hospital, no one bothered to call her family. Not the police, not the school, no one. And I'm like, so she had three hours to at least be able to, you know, tell her parents like they, she loves yeah. them and shit. But no, that's just an oversight. Well, because back then they had no set up things to do for a shooting there like every especially with columbine they're like they had no idea what the fuck they were doing i know but this was like what, eight years after Columbine. Well, because they were like that was an isolated incident those yeah. kids were marilyn manson did that one but we're gonna be fine from here and then after that got much worse um cho left the scene and went back to his dorm and it wasn't like he was caught right away because i don't emily didn't know who he was oh yeah he went back later right yeah he he actually like changed his clothes deleted his emails and removed his hard drive and then and like they never found his hard drive or his phone like they like i think they dragged the lake or whatever nearby and they couldn't find anything and almost two hours after the shooting he went to a nearby post office and mailed video recordings and writings to nbc news and he read his writings were basically like talking about snobs, hedonism, brats, and said, you made me do it. Basically likening himself to Jesus, being like, he's doing, he's sacrificing it, like all of this because for everyone else, which is. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like most of the mass shootings are just like a suicide with an ego. It's like you refuse to go out alone. Mm -hmm. So you got to make a statement because no one ever saw you the way that you're supposed to be seen. He also addressed the package as a Ishmael, the sole survivor and narrator of Moby Dick. And I didn't read Moby Dick because that, that was such yeah, that was a dry read. It is. And I just remember he had his, like Ishmael tattooed on his forearm or something. So and he was an English major, so it probably means more than it is. But yeah, that doesn't sound super weird. Yeah. And the package was supposed to arrive the next day, but it was delayed because there was an incorrect zip code and street address. So it took like an extra two days for them to get the package. Well, I can't imagine I would have much penmanship in the middle of a spree. So, <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, he was able to like collect himself for two hours. That's pretty. Mm. And 926, the school finally sent out an email saying that there was a shooting that took place on campus. They sent out an email? Yes. Not even a phone call? Yep. Um, well, you have to do like a campus-wide one, right? And I don't know if they had like the texting one available well, even, at that wasn't point. Wasn't there even like a PA system with like, hey no, guys? No, that campus is giant. I guess. Yeah. So Cho at this point had on him several chains, locks, a hammer, knife, and two handguns with 19, 10, and 15 round magazines and nearly 400 rounds of ammunition on his person when he entered Norris Hall. He chained the three main entrance doors and placed a note saying that there was a bomb and if the doors were tampered with, it would explode. And yeah, like I wouldn't touch the doors after seeing that shit either. I didn't know about the tools either. Well, he doesn't use them. So that's the reason why it was kind of like it's an additional information thing. But but it shows he he thought ahead at least. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize he was that well planned. It seemed a lot more last second. I think it was like two hours in between that really kind of solidified it. The faculty members found a note, like a faculty member like found a note and then told the school administration that the bomb threat wasn't like called in. But I think that's because like 
they already had so much shit going on with the two people dying in the dorms that they weren't. Yeah. It wasn't as high priority. But the first 911 call was made at 9.42 a.m., which is about the same time he started shooting in Norris Hall. Cho entered an advanced hydrology engineering class taught by Professor G.V. Logan Nathan in room 206. Cho shot and killed Professor G.V. and continued to fire into the classroom, killing nine of the 13 students in the room and injuring two. He then went, went across the hall into room 207 to instructor Jamie Bishop's German class. And Jamie was shot first and killed. And then he shot at all the students, killing four and wounding six. Then went to room 204. And at which point, like, they heard the shots. So they started barricading the doors because they were freaking out. Um, it was barricaded by Professor Liviu Libresu, who physically prevented Cho from entering the classroom. He was able to hold the door closed while most of the students escaped through the window. And... Professor Libresu was a Holocaust survivor. So the fact that Jesus. he survived the Holocaust and then he took this like nice cushy job at university. And still couldn't get away from and it. And still couldn't get away from all the bloodshed is just the worst. But I mean, he saved his students. Only he, he went out a hero. Yeah. He only one student died in his classroom. But basically like all the bullets got him. But everyone else did escape. Cho also entered room 211 and it didn't really say which one he entered first but i'm assuming he did 204 first which was instructor jocelyn um couture Nowal's class though she and student henry lee tried to barricade the door cho was able to break the barricades after killing them so i think he was able to shoot them through the door yeah and push through i also remember reading a bit much like the columbine shooting where like a lot of people thought it was like a prank which didn't yeah, as quickly as they should have. I think in 1999, it was more likely that people were going to think it's a prank. But in 2007, it's like, well, Columbine did happen. Yeah. So after like the school shooting happens, you're like, I guess it's completely possible. When he ran to 211 and the teach the professor and Henry Lee died, he was charged at by Air Force ROTC cadet Matthew Laporte, who took heavy fire and died because I think he was trying to distract so people can like get out yeah. or something. But then he ended up dying too, which really sucks. And 11 students died in room 211 and six were wounded. And at this point, Cho reloaded and started to re-enter the classrooms again. Room 207 was barricaded as students started to try to tend to wounds. And Caitlin Carney and Derek O'Dell were injured while they held the door closed. Room 206, Wally Chalan, who was injured and moving, was shot a second time and killed. And Partai... Lem I'm gonna say all these names wrong. Partai Lumbantorium um, may have either voluntarily or un involuntarily shielded a fellow classmate, Guillermo Coleman, from serious injury by taking a shot. They asked Guillermo afterwards, and he's like, I don't know. Maybe he was like moving, and then because he was shot, he took the bullet for me. Yeah. But you it's know hard to tell him chaos like that. Yeah. Cho tried to enter enter room 205. But Professor Heian Cheng and her students were able to barricade the door with a table. I think they were able to like push a table against the door and then sit on both ends of the table yeah. because no one was wounded in that room. Professor Kevin Granada heard gunshots from the third floor because all the shooting was happening in the second floor. 
and he took his two like his 20 students to his classroom because um from his classroom to his office because his office were locked he locked them in there and then he went downstairs to see what was going on and then he was shot and killed by cho but none of his students were harmed after about 10 minutes from when he started his second attack which was like basically all of that like he killed downing people like 30 people in 10 minutes yeah it sounds like a day's <laughs> worth of work yeah flies by like a gun is very powerful very effective yeah he entered or he re-entered room 211 and shot himself in the right temple and during this mass shooting cho killed five faculty members 27 students wounded at 17 and six were injured from jumping out of a second story window which is preferable over dying yeah this was the deadliest mass shooting committed by lone gunmen in the U.S. until 2016 for the Orlando nightclub shooting, which the guy took out 49 people, and which was outdone the following year in 2017 for the Las Vegas shooting, where he killed 58 people. And yeah. shit. That's, That's when they got into the automatic weapons. Uh, well, I mean, this was a semi-automatic pistol, but it doesn't matter. Like, I just, you know. So at this point, I usually read out the names of the victims because it is important to mention them, like, by name. Yeah. So um, the victims are as follows. Jamie Bishop, 35, German instructor. Jocelyn Couture Nowak, professor of French. Kevin Granada, 45. Professor of Engineering, Livio Lebrescu, Professor of Engineering, 76, G.V. Loganathan, 53, Professor of Engineering, Ross Alamedin, 20, Sophomore, Brian Bloom, 25, Master Student, Ryan Clark, 22, Senior, Austin Cloyd, 18, Freshman, Daniel Perez Cueva, 21, Junior. Matthew Gwaltney, 24, master student. Caitlin Hammerin, 19, sophomore. Jeremy Herbstritt, 27, master student. Rachel Hill, 18, freshman. Emily Hilscher, 19, freshman. Matthew Laporte, 20, sophomore. Jarrett Lane, 22, senior. Henry Lee, 20, freshman. Partahi Lombard. Limbarantorian, 34, PhD student. Lauren McCain, 20, freshman. Daniel O'Neill, 22, master student. Juan Ortiz, 26, master student. Manal Panchal, 26, master student. Aaron Peterson, 18, freshman. Michael Pohl Jr., 23, senior. Julia Pride, 23, master student. Mary Karen Reed, 19, freshman. Rima Samaha, 18, freshman. Wally Chalon, 32, PhD student. Leslie Sherman, 20, junior. Maxine Turner, 22, senior. Nicole White, 20, junior. And that's a fucking crazy ass list. Like, it took me like five minutes to type everyone's name out. Wait, it's appreciated though. There's a. The, the killers always end up being plastered across the news and the victims' names are usually kind of peppered in yeah. as needed. And that's also the reason why I didn't really use his first name because it just felt like I didn't want to glorify him and it just, 
It's it's one of those things. The only reason I remember this story specifically is because mass shootings usually aren't covered in Korean news. Yeah. But it did show up all over my Korean news because he was Korean. And even though Korea was like, we understand he is basically American. Yeah. They felt like really bad that someone of, you know, like one of theirs did this. Like, yeah. I think he might be the worst Korean killer in America. Or Yeah. Well, plus he was like Columbine was pretty easily blamed on the video games of Marilyn Manson. But like this is the first time they're like, wow, there's mental illness. Yeah. Is Men an issue. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like, well, he got all this help, too. Yeah. You can't blame the parents. You can't. You, you can't. It's just everything. Everyone kind of like failed him, but not really. Yeah. Like all the signs are there, but they can't. You can't do anything with the information until they actually act on it. Yeah. Well, this whole incident starts a gun argument but not in the way you would think like you would think like oh well, we should probably look back on like trying to get rid of these guns because people keep dying from guns but legislator todd gilbert introduced a bill forbidding public universities from preventing students from lawfully carrying a concealed handgun on campus basically that same argument of well if there was a good guy with a gun then this might not have happened. Having more guns in the building can solve the problem. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there will be more, you know, like killings from guns because you don't know. Like you just, well, the thing people is, are so like, stupid. If if I came into a school with a gun and I started shooting and there was a quote unquote good guy with a gun and the cops show up and they just know there's a guy with a gun, the good yeah. guy is just as likely to get taken out. Because you still have a gun drawn. Because like I can be like, no, it's a, I'm the good guy, guys. It doesn't does not change anything. No. And it's we've gone, we've had schools all this time until this point, like university until this point where we didn't have a shooting like this. So we don't need more guns on campus. We just need more regulations on guns to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen. Which yeah. just kidding doesn't so the university was like no we're not gonna we're not okay with that bill and it didn't pass but of course after this whole debacle about mental illness and gun ownership it's supposed to make it hard to obtain a gun but it didn't because the nra basically said yeah if there were a good guy with guns wouldn't wouldn't like cho wouldn't have been able to get away with killing so many people and it's like this is a stupid argument guys. yeah you keep saying this and you keep making it easier for people to get guns, but we have even more mass shootings well, now. I was going to say, like, if you, if I didn't know the story and you said this happened last week, I'd be like, yeah, it sounds yeah. like something that's going on. Yeah. Nothing's changed. It's been almost two decades. It's the same problem. I, I just think the whole thing is stupid, super stupid. Because yeah. it is. It's a stupid argument. Like, we Canada doesn't have as many shootings. Well, it's like, no matter how many ways they break it down, it's like every other country has the video games, the music, the mm -hmm. mental illness. If anything, Canada has a way worse reputation for mental illness. Yeah. But America has... And, the, you, and you guys have guns. Just have not just as many guns, guns. Just not access to guns that shoot three bullets per second. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to use a gun for hunting, why can't you use a shotgun or a rifle? Well, that's the you thing. Know? Like, if you if you... If we only had access to hunting rifles, like you shoot a bullet and it takes like a half a minute to reload that thing. Yeah. That's, very, that's a lot of time. Whereas if I can shoot three bolts per second, that's, that's and a, a problem. And a, and a lot in a chamber as yeah. well. Cho's older sister prepared a statement from her family, publicly apologizing for, apologizing for his actions and lending prayers to the victims and survivors. This is someone that I grew up with and loved. Now I feel like I didn't know this person. We never could have envisioned that he was capable of so much violence. 
them, they were really shamed by the whole thing. I don't think like I don't think there was as much public outrage, but they felt shame because okay. they went into hiding, and they were just like, no, like every, like they they did a, they did the best they could. Well, they didn't do anything wrong. No, but it's just you you just still feel like you failed your Wait, child, it's even though it's on your fault. To know that you made the thing that did all this. Yeah, and then they didn't talk to any of their relatives in Korea, and they virtually cut themselves off to the rest of the world and they only maintained contact with the FBI just to make sure that like, you know. But there's not much else you can do. Yeah. At so, least they apologize. Like the, I don't blame them, but the Columbine parents were just like, we're out. Bye. Yeah. Well, it's like the first big one. That's, yeah. the, that's the one that everyone refers to, which is super shitty. And now there's been so many that that's still the only one we really refer to. So NBC decided to show two minutes of the 25 minutes of video Cho sent in, seven of the 43 photographs, and 37 sentences of the 23-page manifesto that he had written. Um, basically, what they didn't show was over-the-top profanity and incredibly violent images. But he mentioned the Columbine killers, deceitful charlatans on campus, rich kids, materialism, hedonism and comparisons to himself and Jesus and all of his writings and basically he said that his death will influence generations of defenseless people and it did because they they taught a whole generation of kids that if you're angry and you want to be famous shoot people yeah we'll put you on the news he also wrote um his that those two plays or two short like stories Richard McBeef and Mr. Brownstone did they ever like release those? Uh, no, I think like you can. No, I think I did read Richard McBeef when uh, this first happened because YouTube users created a film adaptation of it. You know what? That's interesting. And um, Ryan Lamborn created an amateur video game that recreated the shooting called VTech Rampage, where you can beat a shooter in the video game. And obviously, everyone's like, what the fuck, Ryan? And he's like, well, I'll take the game off if I get $2,000 in donations. And for an extra thousand, I'll apologize. And nowadays, like back then, it was like, what the fuck? But nowadays, people would be like, oh, look, he's just trolling. No, he's not trolling. He's a dickbag. That's what it is. He later said it was a joke and basically refused. Dude, I don't. I think the game's still up. I didn't want to look it up. Well, once but I think it's the up there, it's up, up there. Like even if he removes his copy, like I've seen the uh, the Columbine Doom levels that people have made. Well, he also created the slaying of Sandy Hook Elementary. The same dude. Same dude, but he said it was. It's supposed to be in support of gun control laws, but I didn't really want to look into it because I didn't want to accidentally find a video game because I'd be really upset. So yeah, and even poorer taste. That same year, all this happened. Um, two students from Penn State dressed as victims of the VTech massacre and posted it on Facebook because people are still assholes. They dressed as victims? Yeah. Just like the same outfits they had or like they I don't know. I I just don't understand why. I maybe they had like VTech sweaters on and then put blood all over it or like something. That sounds rough no matter which way you look yeah, at it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It just I don't no know. one in their group was like, maybe don't do that. I mean, people dress up as Nazis for Halloween for some reasons. So, <laughs> and that's the Virginia Tech massacre because, yeah. So I wanted a longer story because I was kind of, I had a 
14 minute episode last time and no one said anything, but that's it. Short and sweet. Well, thanks for coming. Well, this was still like 30 minutes and when I cut it, it'll probably be like 25. But thank you for joining me today. And at the end of the episode, I mentioned the contest I'm running. And by contest, I mean, it's just a giveaway. I partnered up with Spread Shoes and I'm giving away custom socks. You put whatever the hell you want on the socks. All you have to do is just contact me and be like, hey, I want socks. And then I'll enter you into like, I don't know, an Excel sheet and then do like a random number generator. And we'll find out. These are dope socks. I mean, you have a couple of pairs. I got too many pairs of anything. Yeah. So that's it. And hopefully you guys are still alive next week. Um, Follow me on all the social medias and rate and review and all that shit. Goodbye.